former FBI Assistant Director, Frank Figluzzi. Join me on a journey deep inside the world's premier law enforcement agency to decode the mysteries and challenges of today's FBI. The threats facing America are as real as the men and women who battle to protect us. In this first-of-a-kind podcast, we sit down with active-duty FBI personnel who reveal their mission, their cases, and their lives. Let's go inside the Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. about 36,000 employees. Amazingly diverse job descriptions and skill sets needed to staff the Bureau. So of all of our job series, the special agent is the most competitive. You can retire at any age with 25 years of service. Scientific and mathematical focused skill sets are really what we need within the organization. Law enforcement needs to look like the communities and the nation that they're protecting. That our intelligence analysis is the most diverse it can be with diverse viewpoints. I do feel like I am really helping protect the American people, and you really can't put a price tag on that. If you've ever wondered what it takes to make it into the FBI, and whether the Bureau might have just the right role for you, this episode is for you. Our guest is Kristen Kelly, Chief of the Recruiting, Sourcing, and Selection Section at FBI Headquarters. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. It's great to have you. I know a lot of listeners out there have always wondered about whether they might have had a shot at the FBI some other time in their career or even are considering something now. They might know young people who want to seek a career in the Bureau and they themselves might realize in this episode that there are lots and lots of roles in the nation's premier law enforcement agency that might be right for them. So I'm looking forward to this discussion, as I always do, to try to put a human face on uh, all the FBI personnel that we talk to. I'd like to ask you about your own journey into the FBI, where you came from, um, what you've been assigned since you came into the Bureau, what you were doing uh, previously. Let's talk about how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. So I am from Westchester County, New York, born and raised there, and I was a lifelong Yankees fan. Found myself in the enemy Red Sox territory of Boston, attending Boston College undergrad as an international studies major, which was a tremendous four years. I would go back in a heartbeat. And when I was studying abroad in Dublin, Ireland, of all places, I got an email that announced an internship with the Office of Naval Intelligence. And I knew nothing about the opportunity except that it would pay $11 an hour, which sounded like a mint to me at the time. So with the tremendous support of my parents, I journeyed down to Washington, D.C. to work with the Office of Naval Intelligence and had a fantastic summer. Uh, They sent me abroad to Singapore. It was really great. And I approached my senior year thinking, hey, what else might I want to do? But I had a job offer in hand at an amazing organization. I said, you know what? I'm going to live life my senior year, and I'm going to go and join the Office of Naval Intelligence when I graduate. So I worked there as an intelligence analyst, and after several tours around working in international operations type roles and human intelligence, I worked in the Pentagon, where I was fortunate to have two amazing female mentors who really helped me see what my career could be, and they encouraged me to attend grad school. 
when I was looking at programs, I was looking at international relations degrees, looking at public policy, and I settled on the MBA program because we really felt that was an underserved or underutilized degree within the federal government. So I went down to the University of Virginia Darden School of Business for two years on a leave of absence, got my MBA, and had every intention of going back to the Naval Intelligence Fold. But my second year on grounds, they call it grounds at UVA, not campus, my second year on grounds, the FBI came and talked about a program they had called the Special Advisor Program. And that program recruits MBAs in to be internal consultants. So rather than going to a Deloitte and Accenture, some of the competitors, the thought the FBI had was let's bring that talent in-house. So I entered the FBI through that program. I started in the counterterrorism division and did rotations up through the associate deputy director's office, working on facilities and IT projects, then took a leadership role in the resource planning office, uh, took some other leadership roles in some of our operational divisions and branches, went back to counterterrorism, and very recently have come to Human Resources to try to recruit in the best and brightest we can to the FBI. So I'm very excited uh, to have this opportunity to talk about all of the various offerings we have in the FBI and help people find what's right for them. An, an awesome journey story, and I think one that will, will serve you well as you attempt to recruit others uh, like like yourself into the Bureau. I love the idea that the Bureau is stepping, uh, as they say, outside the box, or in this case, outside the Bureau, in terms of bringing in a talent that understands business, understands management, organization, structure. Um, for many years, I, I think the Bureau was uh, reticent to kind of bring in non-career folks, but that can often lead to very stilted thinking. And the, the, the movement in the last several years, uh, maybe the last 10 years, uh, to bring in outside talent and think outside the box has been really impressive. So that brings me to the, the general question of how many people work for the FBI and about how many different job descriptions are there in the organization? So we have about 36,000 employees, and you may be surprised to learn that only a third of that population are special agents. So of course, that is the role that we're all familiar with through pop culture, through television, through the years, and the FBI agents for sure are the bread and butter of what we do here. But there's a whole arm of individuals who support those agents and what they do. We have intelligence analysts who are helping put together the picture of what's going on in individual cases or with individual threats helping our agents figure out where we should be focusing our investigations. We also have business functions. So we are a 36,000 person organization, $8 billion. We are run like a business. We have a finance section where we have people with financial backgrounds. I myself am in human resources. We are also a scientific center of excellence. So we have our laboratory division where we have PhD level scientists. We have our operational technology division where we have technologists who are really building the tools that we need in order to move our investigations forward in the current times. So really, we find that there is a role for everybody here from an auto mechanic to a PhD physicist. We actually have 400 various job descriptions here besides just the special agent. So um, definitely, we encourage folks to go to FBIjobs.gov and see what's out there because we are very confident you'll find something that's for you. Yeah, amazingly diverse uh, job descriptions and uh, and skill sets needed to staff the Bureau. So does that mean that recruitment is a constant initiative or is it periodic depending on hiring, budget, and, and your needs? 
Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we say that everybody is a recruiter. If you meet somebody from the FBI, we see that as a recruitment opportunity where you find someone that you'd like to work with and learn more about from the organization. So for us, recruiting is a constant initiative. There are, though, some times of the year where we have bigger recruiting pushes. So we operate on a fiscal year cycle where the 1st of October is the beginning of each new fiscal year. And when we come to that turn of the fiscal year, we look at what the job roles are that will be the most unfilled upcoming. So we can concentrate our recruiting efforts on those those job positions. We also look at the calendar year for schools. So you'll see this fall towards the end of the summer, early fall, a recruiting push for interns and what we call collegiate hires. So looking at those rising seniors who would be great targets for our internship program, and then looking at those graduating seniors or graduating grad students who would be looking at starting with the FBI once they graduate, making sure we're getting those opportunities out to them. With the rare exception of not having a budget, Really, you should see the FBI out there. And if, again, you go to FBIjobs.gov, you'll see some continuously open positions that you can apply to. You mentioned something that's near and dear to my heart, which is the internship program. I, uh, eons ago, in ancient times, I started my FBI career as an honors intern one summer during law school. And uh, it just exposed me to the entire bureau. And obviously, the recruitment process worked, and I, I eventually became an agent. Tell us about the priority focuses right now. What what jobs and what kind of people are you focused like a laser on uh, based on critical needs, for example? Yeah, absolutely. These roles probably will not come as much of a surprise because I think they're fairly consistent across the uh, public and private sectors. But right now we have a keen focus on technology skills. We are looking for those with a background in cybersecurity, Um, in computer programming, in computer science, in information technology, those very hard to fill STEM skill sets. So as I mentioned before, we have some PhD physicists, Uh, some of those more scientific and mathematical focused skill sets are really what we need within the organization, whether you are a special agent, or if you are one of those other roles we talked about who are supporting the special agents in their investigations. We also have a continuous focus on accounting skills and law degrees. So those who are pursuing those degrees or those who are currently in those fields looking for a change are those that we are looking to bring into the FBI over the coming year and quite frankly foresee that being a skill set and focus area for the next several years. And so you mentioned uh, several job descriptions already um, that really cause people to think beyond the agent position any other roles that you think, boy, the average person wouldn't know that the, you know, the FBI needs this kind of skill set or has this kind of job posting? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but auto mechanic, you may not think that that is a role that the FBI is looking for, but we have a lot of vehicles that our special agents are using to get around. Nurses are another role that we need across all of our field offices and here in headquarters, making sure we're supporting those who are going out into the field. Some of those scientific roles, again, if you're a biologist or a chemist, the FBI might not be at the top of your list because we don't appear to be a research-based organization, but whether it's in the Weapons of Mass Destruction Directorate or down in our laboratory, there are really amazing opportunities for folks in those fields to leverage those skills. So again, a very wide range of options that I don't think anyone should think, ah, FBI, I don't know if they have a role for me there. I really think you could find something. 
And and for those out there who might be thinking, boy, I think um, I'm hesitant to apply because they, they're going to tell me where I have to live or they're going to move me around the world. Are there jobs where that's not the case? Are there jobs where an applicant can say, I, I only want to work here or, or there? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I always thought of it as a great benefit that the FBI has 56 field offices around the country and we have 70 plus uh, legal attache offices around the world. So I thought I saw it as a great opportunity that, hey, maybe you could actually go back to your hometown. You don't necessarily have to work in Washington, D.C. like you might have to for some other federal agencies who could be employing you. But if you're not someone who is looking to move around, if, hey, you found your dream job in uh, McAllen, Texas, and that's where you want wanted to stay, most of the roles that are not agent or not intelligence analysts are not subject to being forced to move. So you can find a career path for yourself there. If you are more of a city person like me, I grew up in the suburbs of New York City. You can also find yourself a career path in in headquarters here in Washington, D.C. So there really is the opportunity to have some more freedom and say. For those roles, though, as I mentioned, the special agent and the intelligence analysts that are subject to move In the beginning, you'll be given an opportunity to indicate which offices are your offices of preference. And so you'll get placed on uh, the needs of the FBI and also how you do coming out of your training courses there. And throughout the rest of your career, you'll be able to indicate what your offices of preference are. So not only through applying to positions you see in those various locations, but by being able to potentially be picked off of that list. So we do do our best while we have mobility back and forth. We do our best to make sure we can get you the opportunities where you would like them as long as those opportunities exist. You know, there's been a lot of discussion in our nation about the need for law enforcement agencies, and in the case of the Bureau of Law Enforcement and Intelligence Agencies, to look more like the communities that they serve. What What's the FBI doing um, in that regard with regard to diversity? And I, when I say diversity, I mean race, gender, ethnicity. What, what do your current numbers look like in terms of achieving various diversity goals? Um, can, you, can you give us some data on, on what that looks like and what really what the Bureau looks like these days? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, our mission is to protect the American people and uphold the Constitution. And we feel very strongly that we're not able to fully execute that mission without representing the American people, which means our onboard workforce should look like the American public. Unfortunately, we do have a ways to go there. We focus particularly on diversity in our special agent cadre because those individuals have the most interaction with the public. So we want to make sure that those who have the most outside interaction are the most representative. Right now, the numbers are not there. So for female special agents, only 22% of our special agent cadre is female. Nationally, I think we're more 50-50. So you can see just on gender diversity alone, we have a long ways to go. In terms of racial and ethnic diversity, our overall minority rate is about 20%, whereas the overall American people are 40%. So again, a lot that we have to do in order to overcome that. So what are some of the efforts that we have ongoing? Recently, we met down in Huntsville, Alabama with a group representative of the historically black college and university presidents. We're calling it the Beacon Initiative to talk about what are some of the barriers to entry? What are some of the perceptions that make our candidates of color less likely to want to join the FBI? Internally, we're also looking at what is the life cycle of an applicant look like? So from people putting in on FBIjobs.gov through making it through the entire agent process, 
where are the points where individuals may or may not be making it through? And should we, we be re-looking at that? What is some of our messaging? Outreach is such a key part of this too. So we'll, you'll see if you haven't already in the near future, a lot more targeted outreach in the communities, making sure that you can see the friendly face of an FBI agent. So you can see someone who looks like you and represents you and makes you think, hey, this might be somewhere where there is a place for me. And again, I would just make the plug that if special agent right now doesn't seem like a great opportunity, there are a world of other positions here. And we need diversity, not just in our special agent cadre, but across all of our job series so that our intelligence analysis is the most diverse it can be with diverse viewpoints. So that as we're coming up with our human resources perspectives, we're making sure that we are being inclusive of everybody. We also have a big focus on uh, recruiting persons with disabilities. We think that there should be a fully inclusive environment that is not limited. So as we look at that, we've hired uh, an individual who's responsible for focusing specifically on recruiting persons with disabilities because we think that really is another viewpoint that we need to make us more diverse, to make us better, to get ahead of the threat and be more inclusive and representative of the American people. You know, this plays out, this issue of diversity plays out in a very, very practical way on the streets. From from my own experience as an agent in the Bureau, it's it's just a, from practical standpoint, uh, two middle-aged white guys on a surveillance in an urban environment might not be the optimal situation for a successful surveillance. You know, law enforcement needs to look like the communities uh, and the nation that they're protecting. So amen to that. Okay, let's hit pause so I can share something new from the folks at Wondery Podcasts. It's called Generation Y. That's W-H-Y. Imagine you have two friends who are obsessed with crime, murder, mayhem, and unsolved mysteries. They have a passion for breaking down cases that have been cold for years. Welcome to Generation Y a podcast where hosts Aaron and Justin give startling theories, dive into forensic evidence, and share their bold opinions. They dig deep, looking for answers on cases of missing spouses, mysterious murders, serial killers, and more. One of the newest episodes tells the story of Jody, who was murdered on her way to meet her boyfriend, Luke. Because Luke discovered her body, he was a person of interest. Throughout the trial, he insisted he was innocent, yet was still sentenced to a minimum of 20 years. Was he telling the truth, or is he actually the murderer? In another chilling episode, Peter Bergna's truck crashed off a cliff near Reno. His wife, Renette, died, but Peter survived. Was it an accident, or did he intentionally crash? Generation Y reviews every detail of these cases to uncover the truth. My own interest in unsolved mysteries and crime started as a young boy, long before I became an FBI agent. If Generation Y was available back then, I'd have listened to it. And now, thankfully, we all can. Listen to the Generation Y podcast on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or listen one week early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Now, let's get back to our discussion. Um, we've talked a lot about the various roles, non-agent positions. Let's let's turn now to the special agent position, the gun and badge position in the FBI. Tell us about that role, how competitive the application process is, and again, the critical skills you're currently looking for. Yeah, absolutely. 
So of all of our job series, the special agent is the most competitive. And a lot of that really is because that is a role of such responsibility that we need to make sure that we are hiring people who can uphold their oath and, again, protect the American people and uphold the Constitution. So there are various processes that you go through when becoming an agent that you want in other job series. We have several rounds of testing. Some of it is written. Some of it is just a typical test that is looking for your aptitude and your ability to perform as a special agent. You'll also have physical fitness tests that are, again, assessing your level of fitness now and your preparedness for attending Quantico, which is, of course, our training course and our training academy. You'll also do interviews with onboard special agents and onboard interview panels who will see, based on your background, would you be a good fit for this role? Can we see you being trusted with all of the roles and responsibilities of a special agent? More practically speaking, on the application side, what we do look for is three years of specialized experience. And so we are not taking our college students right out the bat. We do want people to have more experience out in the real world. Right now, our average age of our special agents in Quantico is 31 years old. So even though three years is the bare minimum, we are seeing people come in with even more experience than that. Similar to what I was talking about before, we are looking for those same skill sets within our special agents. So those cyber skills, computer science, information technology, and then those accountants and lawyers. So I think we'll always have a focus on lawyers within the FBI. We are, in fact, a law enforcement organization. We report through the Department of Justice, so we will always need those legal degrees. But as our uh, adversaries get more advanced with technology, we need to make sure that we are bringing in people who can also keep up with that tide. You know, my own experience, and I I did come out of law school uh, into the Bureau, was initially a lot of my law school classmates were kind of looking at me like I was crazy. Like, what are you, you're going to go into the government and are you chasing bad guys? And we're going to make all this money in private law firms. And within a year or two, Kristen, I was getting phone calls from those former classmates saying, I'm not satisfied with my job. I don't like the integrity or ethics where I'm working. And they all wanted to figure out how to get into the Bureau. So that older age demographic, that 31 uh, average age for an agent, um, new, new agent, I think also shows people are making career changes and, and, they're, and they're okay with even getting a pay cut if necessary because they, they want a job that means more and represents more than what they're currently doing. Absolutely. And we think, you know, even if you look at pay cut, the FBI has more to offer than just salary. As you point out, there's mission based. But even this will be the practical MBA side of me. If you really look at the hours, you might be working in one of those law firms or accounting firms. When you look at your hourly rate, it may not be that different at the FBI because we are offering some more of that work life balance than other places. But again, I can't think of anything that makes up for that mission driven. Every day you get up, you know, you're protecting the American people. I personally uh, joined the intelligence community through Naval Intelligence because of the events of September 11th, and my EOD date to the FBI was September 11th, 2011. And so that is just so personally meaningful to me that I do feel like every day, even as an MBA in HR, which might sound crazy, I do feel like I am really helping protect the American people, and you really can't put a price tag on that. Boy, as we go through the episodes in in this podcast uh, series, I hear over and over again the uh, impact and the influence of 9-11 on so many of our guests entering government service. So, uh, and you've repeated that again. So generally speaking, what what does it take 
to get FBI employment? What's the application process look like? What should people, our listeners who are out there going, you know what, I, I'm going to take a look at this, but I, I'm concerned about something in my past. I don't know if, if this is going to be a problem. I don't know if I can qualify for a clearance. Talk about the the process generally for all applicants. Yeah, absolutely. So you will find our job applications at fbijobs.gov. We do, however, use other social media platforms so you can find positions on LinkedIn, on Indeed, and other places out there. But typically what will happen is you'll submit your resume through that application. There will be general guidelines as to what you need to do. So for all FBI positions, you will have to be a United States citizen. That's because you'll have to have a security clearance. There will be some other issues that will prevent you from employment. So, for example, prior drug usage. We've recently revised our marijuana usage policy to being uh, one year prior or 24 times uh, since you were the age of 18. But other drugs are still a harder line for us. Again, a lot of that has to do with both the security clearance and the trust that the American people are putting us in order to both have access to that information and make decisions about what we will be doing for our national security. So once you've submitted your application, it will be reviewed for minimum qualifications for that position. Depending on the position, you'll then be interviewed by either a panel or an individual to see if you would uh, be suitable for employment, that you have the specific skills we're looking for, a typical what we would call behavioral interview for most job series. If you pass through that, you'll get what is called a conditional job offer. So the condition of that job offer is your ability to get a security clearance. So that's really where that condition comes in. You'll get that offer and then you'll get a form that's called the SF Standard Form 86. It's the same form that's used for every federal agency that requires a background clearance. So the good news, uh, which I found myself, is it should have your information should you hold a clearance from somewhere else and if you've ever filled it out before. If you haven't, You'll have to look for a lot of information everywhere you've traveled, folks who have known you at different places. It definitely is extensive because, again, we really want to make sure that we are we should be putting our trust in you because there is so much trust put in us as an organization. Once you filled out that form, it will be reviewed by security personnel. You will be given a drug test through your local field office that's likely processing you, and you'll be given a pre-polygraph interview. You will have to sit through a polygraph. I would be lying if I said it's a pleasant experience. As someone who has a natural guilt complex, I would say it's not pleasant. You still have to do it every five years, so I continue to submit myself to polygraphs. Uh, But again, it is because we really do feel that it's important that we have the most trustworthy people here who are the most honest that they can be. So once you've gone through that process, right now that process takes about on average a year. So it's not a fast process. And we do want people to understand that. So if you get your conditional offer from the FBI, don't necessarily give your notice right away. Uh, Give it a little bit more time to go through. But trust, we're working through the process. Uh, Once you pass that polygraph, then you'll be given what's known as your final job offer. You'll be given a start date and you'll go through a form of onboarding to the organization. So it sometimes seems like it's a long light at the end of the tunnel, uh, but we can absolutely assure you it is totally worth it to wait with us to come on board and join this amazing team. 
Yeah, they say good things come to those who wait, and I think that's true here. And so for those who, who make it through, what kind of compensation and salary package might they be looking at? And I know, you know, we've said there's hundreds of job roles, so that's going to differ depending on, on the job. But uh, generally speaking, let, you know, maybe let's talk about the agent position. What uh, kind of salaries and compensation are we talking about? Yeah. So our salaries for our positions, depending on the position, as you mentioned, with the 400, some are more competitive with the private sector and others are not. And so for our special agents, you would be coming in at the GS10 level, um, but we also offer availability pay. So our special agents are getting a bump essentially of two hours uh, per day, roughly speaking, Um, you could look at that as 20% over time on their base salary as they come in the door. So again, will it be less than what you're looking at if you're coming from a law firm, if you're coming from an accounting firm? The answer is probably yes. However, uh, you also are on a different retirement track than other individuals. So after you've put 20 years in, uh, you've reached the age of 50. The math doesn't always add up since I just told you our average age is 31. Um, But after you've put your time into the organization, you are eligible to retire significantly earlier and you're retiring with a pension, which as we all know in these days is really not necessarily something you're looking at. And that is unique to our special agent cadre. Our other positions in the FBI have more of a traditional 401k type retirement plan. Um, There is some amount of pension, but really it's more the, the thrift and savings plan. But for our special agents, you are retiring with your life insurance, with your health insurance, and with that pension. And again, at an earlier age. So most of our special agents go on actually to have what would amount to a third career because they've already had professional experience before they joined the FBI. So they go on to a third career where if they want to, they can pursue another large paycheck. Um, If they want to sit by the beach, they're certainly entitled to do so as well. So there's a lot of options and freedom that come with that. And throughout the course of your time as a special agent, you'll be moving through what's called a career ladder. So you will be promoted up on typically an annual basis up until you get to more senior leadership positions, which become more competitive. But as long as you're doing your job, you'll be moving up. And that career ladder, again, is consistent with most of our job series, uh, regardless of what you'll be doing within the FBI. So a little more stability and guarantee and pay than you may be getting in other organizations. So while, again, not maybe numbers on paper the same, we do think the totality of the package and the additional benefits, not to mention that mission-driven element, you can't necessarily put a price tag on that. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. And I, there's two things I think to emphasize for that agent position. You mentioned one of them, which is that you can, uh, with 20 years of service and hitting age 50, you can retire if, if you wish to. There's another element that impacted me, which is that I came in young enough so that another rule applied to me, which is that you can retire at any age with 25 years of service. So I actually left just prior, I retired just prior to turning 50. And I did have a second career in corporate security. Um, And now I'm really on my third career, um, talking to you and doing the media and and writing and speaking for a living. So I mean, you can't when you combine that with that pension, as as you said, you really can't can't beat it. All right, let's talk about the kind of career changers that maybe you're aware of, people coming out of other careers throughout the the Bureau. Um, If you've got any anecdotal stories about people who made a switch and decided to 
to go with, I say, Team America and the FBI. Yeah. So as we talk about our focus on diversity, we still have internally um, what I would call trailblazers. So since we have a ways to go, um, particularly in our special agent cadre, we do have individuals who are really helping break barriers. So in around the month of March, I think it was, we had Women's History Month. And I was watching an event in the Dallas field office, which happened to be quite timely um, because Dallas got to celebrate a really exciting milestone. Dallas was the first field office that had an African-American female agent, special agent, bomb tech. So a very specific role within the FBI, highly competitive, lots of training, and unbeknownst to me and very pleasantly surprised by the SAC, this individual happened to be our first African-American special agent bomb tech. We call them SABTs. She was a former canine explosives detective handler with the Capitol Police. So a career switcher in terms of having worked while in law enforcement, not necessarily for the FBI. And she had a dream of becoming an FBI special agent. Her experience that she had as a canine handler obviously prepared her for that role, but she still took the initiative internally, decided to make that change and successfully got through the program. So really impressive to me, someone who had their eye on the prize, who had the dream, who went out and pursued experience that would be relevant for the FBI, and then raised her hand for a job series where she didn't see anyone else like her, but ended up being the first. When we were down in the laboratory division, we actually... um, got to speak with another African-American female who was our only African-American chemist. So she, again, trailblazing in the field of science where we don't have a lot of representation. And she was taking it upon herself to mentor those who were interested in joining the organization and speaking to those at colleges and universities. She's someone we hope will also be interested in joining the special agent track Because as I have mentioned, our professional work experience, we do also recruit internally from those other job series. So we hope that folks who are interested, who may be just coming out of college or not quite sure about the special agent track, that they'll join the FBI in some of these other job series, get to know agents, get to know really what the on the ground truth is of that job and raise their hand to join us. And we absolutely recruit those individuals into the special agent track. So again, Uh, Just two quick anecdotes, but I think really important to focus on trailblazers because without people willing to raise their hand to do the jobs that they don't see people like them in, we will not get better as an organization and we will not get more diverse. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned uh, an aspect of this that I think struck me even as I do these this podcast and, and have various FBI guests on. And that's the kind of training that the Bureau internally provides its people and even people coming from in from the outside, there's, I think, an, an assumption that, boy, I've got to be an expert in this to apply for, for this role. And you know, we've had guests on from, for example, evidence response teams. Well, that's something that you raise your hand for once you're in the FBI. And they, they give you world-class training on processing crime scenes. Um, you can change careers or at least, at least skill sets in the Bureau once you're in. We've had a guest um, on biometrics, and he talked about hiring fingerprint examiners with little or no experience, but training them up um, to be world-class fingerprint examiners. So lots of training um, for those who are interested. Kristen, any other success stories about recruitment, selection, hiring um, that you want to share with us? Yeah, I would just like to highlight, as we talked about before, our focus on hiring people, uh, persons with disabilities, because again, I do think that that 
is a form of diversity that we don't always think of off the top of the bat, but we've recently hired a selective placement program coordinator role. And so that person's sole role is to work with persons with disabilities who are interested in working for the FBI and make sure that we can bring them on board. So while you can find their contact information at fbijobs.gov, we also have an individual email account where you can email resumes for yourself, friends or family who you think would like to be employed by the FBI. And so that email address is RSU, which stands for the Recruiting and Sourcing Unit, rsurecruiting at fbi.gov. So as those resumes come in, our coordinator will review them and provide the resumes across the FBI to see what positions folks may be uh, able to fill throughout the hiring process if there are different challenges through interviews, through showing up, anything else that may prevent a barrier. We also have accommodations throughout the process for that. So we really want to make sure that we are being as inclusive as we can across the board. So wanted to highlight that again for our folks out there who might be interested in the FBI, but worried there's not a place for them or it might be too difficult. Kristen, I want to thank you for being a kind of gatekeeper uh, at the FBI, ensuring that the best and the brightest uh, and the most diverse cadre of people are getting into our top law enforcement agency. I don't think the Bureau's faced a more critical, challenging time um, in our history, perhaps. And I know that Americans insist that their FBI have the very best uh, people uh, on the streets, in the laboratories, in the office, because times demand it. So thanks for doing that. um, And thanks for being part of the overall mission to secure America. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about what may be one of the greatest jobs on earth. I won't be too too overly enthusiastic, but thank you so much for getting the opportunity to share and really hopefully broaden out for everybody their perspective on what opportunities there might be in the FBI and where they might be able to fit in working for the world's premier law enforcement organization. We're glad you could be here, Kristen. Thank you. Thanks for exploring FBI jobs with us. Maybe someone's been inspired to consider an FBI career. And I hope I've inspired you to join us next time when we suit up with a top FBI SWAT team leader who gives us the lowdown on some of the riskiest work in the FBI and the men and women who face those risks on the other side of the door. The Bureau is written by Frank Fagluzzi and executive produced by Allison Gill with sound design and editing by Molly Hockey. The show is engineered by Matt Brousseau with podcast art design by Johanna Coxeter. Music for The Bureau is written and composed by Peter Rydberg. The Bureau is a proud member of MSW Media Network, a collection of independent creator-owned podcasts focused on news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.